Welcome to the show with me, Sue Parker. It's the Lifestyle Entrepreneur Show. And today I am at Felicity Lee and Daniel Coleman's Straw Bale House here in France, where it is 37 degrees outside and we're at least 10 degrees inside. I'm drinking a lovely, cool, mint-flavoured water, I think it is, which is absolutely delicious. Now, if you remember, we had Flea and Dan on the show on episode 27 when we talked about shaping your own destiny, and they've come back to share with us about off-grid living in a little bit more detail and also a programme that they're running at their home. So as a reminder, Felicity is a yoga and meditation practitioner. She also does Reiki, and she is a teacher. Daniel is a Thai yoga therapist, author, and English teacher. In fact, they're both both authors, and you can check out their book on Amazon. So I'll share the other episode in the show notes, but for now, welcome to Dan and Flea. Thank you for coming to, on the show. Hi, Sue. Thanks for having us again. Very excited to be here. Lovely to have you. Great to be on the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me in your home again. Mm-hmm. So today we're talking all about off-grid living, and there's some really big questions on people's lips, like, what is it? How do I escape modern day living? Why might I do this? What are the best places to live? So I think Perhaps a really good place to start would be some key reasons about why you think we should consider living off-grid. Well, I think as an individual, you're well-placed to see trends that perhaps governments aren't able to see or respond to. Like um, We live in a really high-energy throughput society, and that creates high-energy throughput lifestyles and expectations. And we can already see the friction that's causing as those expectations come up against geophysical realities and geothermal realities, and that's the cost of living crisis, mm-hmm. of course. And as an individual, you're far more dynamic and able to respond to that in a way by, by doing your own research, looking at new technologies, and perhaps, uh, yeah, preempting changes that might end up being forced upon you. So one of the things that we talk a lot about is the system and Mm. being controlled by the system and and do energy companies really work for us? Do they all work for Mm. profit making? And I think that comes up a lot when people are trying to escape the rat race. And I feel like that's sort of a hint of what you're giving us as to why we might want to consider this. Mm. Escaping that modern day living, Mm. enjoying nature a lot more. Mm. I guess it would be really good to scene set here. So I'm in your straw (laughs) straw bale build house. We are in the country, but we're not too far in the country because there's a town right next, right not by us with bakeries and bars and restaurants. So when people think off-grid, and I'm, I'm thinking there was an article in the press three weeks ago about um, a family that went into Colorado, into the forest, and they basically took a bunch of survival books and they said they were going to live off-grid. They didn't like the way the world was going. I mean, let's face it, we've all got problems with the way the world is going. Um and then, and then, unfortunately, they died. So this is quite a horrific story. And for many people listening, what, what is the context of off-grid living to you? How, how would you define it? For us, it's a very different um, idea. So that whole idea of going into the woods and surviving in a sort of Bear Grylls, Ramirez style, um, it's very appealing. I think we all wish we had this at some point in time. But for us, it was a bit of a different equation. Um, we both really enjoy people and socialising and it wasn't a sense, although perhaps it's become that now, it wasn't a sense of just removing ourselves from society. It was more uh, a sense of we want to live autonomous, autonomously, but sort of cherry pick our favourite parts of society. So we do live uh, on a field, which is um, you know reasonably large, but it's right in the middle of a village. We are surrounded by neighbours and dogs and the like, <laughs> many animals and friends. Um, so we went for the kind of seclusion rather than isolation, um, but it didn't uh, happily in this part of France. We were able to 
have more choice over how we provide our energy, how we get our water. Um, that does vary depending on your location and where you're looking. However, um, for us, we really needed that that social aspect, um, but we wanted to be sort of more free in, in many ways and free from the biggest binds of society, which we talked about last time being debt. And um, since then, energy price rises, uh, sort of post-COVID world, that's been very difficult for a lot of people. So you live in France, but many people are probably thinking, where where is the best place to get started? What countries or towns or places, or can you do this in the UK? <laughs> so what, what would you say to people thinking, where's the best place to start with my off-grid? Well, for us, one of the key things about living off-grid was starting with no debt, because that puts you in a, in a place where you're not rushing, you're able to research technologies, experiment, learn, trial and error. You've got a lot of time and freedom then. There's no bank pressure to earn X amount every month. So uh, that kind of narrows down your options. And it's why we're in France, not the UK. Uh, we would love to be able to do this in the UK, but to buy a piece of land would have required a mortgage. And then very quickly, you're, you're slipping back into the same, the very patterns you're trying to avoid. So um, yeah, anywhere where you can buy land reasonably cheaply, obviously ticks a massive box if you're starting with a limited pot of money. Um, but also uh, France is quite liberal when it comes to regulations on materials that you use. Uh, our house is straw, the tyres, uh, we use tyres for the foundation and, you know, that wasn't a problem yeah, when it comes to building regulations. Just aesthetic differences that they make. Yeah, yeah. So that was a primary concern for us, like the regulations, can we build what we need to build in order to realise our, um, our intentions and can we start with zero debt and thereby allow the project to grow organically because mm. otherwise I feel like you you might end up with something that isn't much different from the regular equation mm, yeah mm. so but in terms of places I mean you know, I guess people have their sort of doomsday refuge but we're not into that really it's it's not about like please said it's not about removing yourself and finding a, a bunker somewhere you're just trying to um, carve out a bit more freedom in your life by recognizing the trends around you and then putting things in place to to deal with those mm -hmm. in, in the best way you can. And for us, France was, was better because it was close to family as well. So really practical concerns, mm -hmm. you know, we, we, there was no sort of escapism mm -hmm. in that sense. Yeah. In terms of um, sort of countries around the world that are quite open to it, the States is quite open to it generally, mm -hmm. America, um, mainly due to its size and the land of the free. So there's still that, <laughs> that element there. Um, I know that off-gridding is quite popular in other places like Costa Rica. Um, but you know, in Europe, it is you have to sort of really do your research and find a location where it's possible. Um, and it might be that even within the same country, there are places where you can do it and not. Here in France, there are places where you cannot do it. If you went to the Ile de France or Paris or Marseille, it's not going to happen. Monte Carlo is not down with it. But the centre of France is very open to it, um, and you find a lot of people gravitate towards this area. The cruise, in particular, has a lot of people who are sort of searching for that difference in their life or trying to carve out that element of freedom. Mm. So yeah, there are there are locations, um, but it, yeah, you do have to search for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. So. What, what's, what would you say is the mis biggest misconception that people have about off-grid living? A few. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, when people, when we tell people we're off-grid, or to be honest, when they now ask, um, we uh, we can sort of see in their eyes this idea that's visual, this visual idea that's building, and it normally involves mud, <laughs> uh, one room, mm. nothing, uh, very sparse, austere, austerity, yeah. that sort of thing. 
Um, and so when people actually, I say, do you, want, do you want to see a picture? And they're like, oh, it doesn't look anything like I imagined, the house. or uh, And also, I think people imagine that they won't be able to do anything. Like they won't be able to have a sink or um, use their computer, you know, tech things. But it's not the case. Um, for us, we, we prioritised what we need or want in our life. Um, that was a laptop, <laughs> a kitchen sink, things like that. But then our, over time with our electricity system, for example, we've managed to build on top of that. So we have some little luxuries like a projector. Mm-hmm. That's that's very bougie. Mm. <laughs> um, and a little rice cooker and things like that. But we, we did start with a complete reduction to almost nothing and then built a little bit mm. um, within the confines of our system. Yeah. yeah. So that for me is a, a big misconception is what it looks like mm. in their minds, yeah. people's minds. Yeah. Actually, I guess for me too, I remember years ago I saw a meme that was said, I just want to live in a log cabin with Wi-Fi. I was like, yes, that's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was harder. It was a meme because it was really hard to do or perceived to be hard to do. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think people think you will want for everything, but it's not, not the truth at all. That's for me. How about you? There's kind of a skewed balance sheet. There's uh, People generally stuck up and make a long list of all the things they won't have. Mm-hmm. And they don't understand what they will have as a result of not having those things. And for us, for example, it means... A very quiet house with things that don't beep, buzz, and break, and need replacing. It means um, it means no utility bills. It means uh, a working week, which is you know we wake up every day and work because we choose to, not because we have to. I've had yeah. the freedom to go abroad and study a new art, Thai massage, mm. and that doesn't seem like it's linked to not having a dishwasher. But the cumulative impact of all of those little decisions, you've got to look at the other side of the balance sheet of what it gives you, and it's enormous. Um, Maybe not immediately tangible, but there is a direct link. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we've hinted at what you've got. So we've said it's not a cave. <laughs> <laughs> that's the misconception, is that it, it? That's what it is. But we've hinted that you've got a sink, so you've got running water. <laughs> you've got hot run hot water as well. Yes. Yeah. Most of the year, it's so <laughs> it's based on solar. So. And you've got power because you've got laptops. Yeah. And you yeah. have the internet. You have Wi-Fi. <laughs> Because we're online too much. So, so I guess there's probably a lot of people thinking, how do you have these things? So, give me a taste of four. Okay. Let's let's say, how, how do you have power? Okay. How do you do that off grid? So, in a nutshell, we have five 100 watt solar panels, mm-hmm. which, to give you context, is probably a, a tenth of what a big solar install would look like on somebody's roof. So, okay. very little, and they're 100 quid each. So, mm-hmm. you can already add up. It's not much. And two batteries, which we store energy with, one of which we use all year round and the other of which is a backup for the winter and the prolonged periods of darkness. And then the whole house is 12 volts. So if you're not electrically minded, it's basically like a giant camper van in terms of the electric. It's very, very simple. Um, designed by us so that we could then fix it, maintain mm-hmm. it, etc., cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. and add another element of simplicity. So the power, yeah, that's the power, just off-grid solar. And uh, we've managed with that for seven years and we've never run out of power. So it works well. Okay. So um, <laughs> I can imagine, uh, so my listener, like me, might mm. be now thinking, I know nothing about solar power. I don't know how to wire oh. a battery. I'm feeling a little bit fearful. Yes. Um, where, where, did, where do you go to figure this stuff out? How did you figure it out? What, can, is this something anyone can do? Or, or really, do you need to be quite no. technically minded? Do you need to be hands-on and good at construction and already know the basics of electrics you definitely have to be keen to give things a go but no we i studied politics you studied marketing and european studies so we are not from a technical background at all uh, we learned this stuff through youtube 
we did our research, we took every precaution we could, we read lots and lots of blogs, because a lot of people do it. There is a huge knowledge base for people living off-grid in a mindful, not in the forest kind of way. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, a, that's a fantastic resource, and it's mm. one of the blessings of the internet. Mm. Um, so, you know, don't get me wrong, it was a learning curve, and over the time we've adapted, we've adjusted, and now we've got a system that's really refined and robust and works well, and it took some time to get there. But it's not anyone that can read and has time and a bit of patience can can achieve exactly the same thing. Mm. I find that the um, the level you sort of that I needed for electrics was GCSE level physics, and all I really needed was that little triangle, volts, watts, amps. I think everyone remembers that. Um, <laughs> as long as you've got that little mathematical equation in your head, electricity is not as difficult. But um, what we did, which was invaluable, was we started in a caravan and we had a very tiny system. So having it on a very small scale that if it melts a little bit, doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, and 12 volt is also much, much safer. Um, but it was through learning on a very small scale. Yeah. And then we upscaled uh, that for the house. It's exactly the same system as we had in the caravan. Yeah. Um, but we live in the era of YouTube. It's a, it's a wonder. So mm. there's a lot, a mine of information on there. Plus the permaculture community is also enormous and there's a lot to be found there. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really something. And, also having a look at giving courses for this for other people. So if any of your listeners are interested, we are running an off-grid introduction 101 course, um, three different ones throughout the autumn. And what we will do on that course for electricity, for example, is create a very tiny system. So just a couple of batteries and how you put that together, what that looks like. We're really going back to like school-based electronics um, because I think we all did that at some point in our life, but we probably just had fun with it, licking batteries or whatever we did. And then, uh, so this is really to make sure that people have some sense of confidence again they get to actually touch mm. the wires put it together and ta-da we have a circuit um, so I think that that, mm. that could be very useful if anyone's interested in that so a prerequisite for that you don't need to know anything you're just going to come and you're going to show them how to set up mm. that solar panel system mm. in a day wow yeah. that's fantastic um, and then, and I guess, well, so we touched on the fact that you have tap, you have running water. Do you have hot water? Mm -hmm. So our water system is a rainwater capturing system. Um, so we take the rainwater directly from the roof in the gutter into a ferro-cement water tank. Um, and then that uses the solar uh, electricity to pump it into the house. Um, but it comes via a very handy little contraption, which is a solar water heater. But it's not a solar panel. If you're visualizing solar panels, it's not what it looks like. It's so solar tubes. And these tubes have a vacuum and they're done through uh, like infrared um, light. So it's actually nothing to do with the heat of the sun. It's all to do with the rays of the sun. That's why they work in uh, frozen climates as well. So uh, it's got a tank on top of these tubes. Ours is about 165 litres. Um, and it's a really insulated tank. And then that comes into the house for hot water. So, um, yeah, that is one of the best systems because it's so passive and it just works. Uh, I think it, for me, has been the most successful system, the hot water system. It does mean sometimes in January when it's like pea soup <laughs> weather, mm -hmm. um, there might be tepid water and it might be a slightly cooler shower. But 
that those times are very few and far between. You just have to plan it. That's yeah. all. Yeah, make I think sure I can mention the 90% rule. Yeah, it's my favourite rule. Dan's favourite rule. So this is a rule that we kind of created ourselves and applied to our systems. And it, it goes something like this, the 90% rule. So if you have a system which provides 90% of your needs, it's very, very simple. If you want it to provide 100% of your needs, that system becomes exponentially more complicated. And the water is a great example. If you want water hot on tap, 365 days of year, it's an expensive system that you can't maintain yourself. If you're happy with 90%, you get this very simple setup and no utility bills and the occasional boiled kettle in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> I guess one of the other things, I guess, is, is drinking water. You know, you're, so you're harvesting water that, that comes, the rainfall. Yeah. And, you know, that's not, we know we're not supposed to be drinking rainwater, so... Yeah. You know, is that something that you can deal with off grid? You know, what kind of complex system do you need to set up? Yeah, yeah. Like so that? it's not complex at all. So we've got a, the ferro cement tanks. We've got our cylindrical, um, and they're obviously concrete, so the sun doesn't enter. So there's no algae um, because they're round, they're conical, they move round. The, the water continually circulates and aerates. So even if it hasn't rained for months, the water inside is possible and clean with no filtration system whatsoever. As a precaution, the water that comes into the house that we drink, we run it through a passive Berkey filter, which is like a carbon filter, which doesn't require any energy. Um, but that, that's a good example of just elegant design that leads to sort of uh, passive long-term use. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the tanks have all sorts of stuff going into them, but due to it's owing to the design, the stuff that we don't want settles or overflows and the water inside remains clean. So it's another example of... Um, they're trying to create systems that we know how to maintain and don't rely on complex technologies wherever possible. I mean, obviously, you know, the production of cement is a complex process, mm. but yeah, we, we do what we can to eliminate complexity where possible. Mm -hmm. It was quite ironic because in the house, there's not one drop of cement or a bit of powdered cement, but the water <laughs> tanks, um, when we were trying to decide which ones to go for, um, it turned out the ferrous cement tanks were the best solution for us. There are other options. Um, but just as you look at your lovely, delicious mint water, and think, <laughs> has this been filtered? It has. It went through the Berkey, and the Berkey is like um, a very well-known filtration system. Um, they last for a very long time and they're, they're solid carbon so they're used in disaster yeah. areas and things um, but we also have some tiny filters on the pumps when it first comes in so even if it's through the kitchen or the shower it's got a tiny little filter mm. it's going through also so yeah it's it's worked out very well with the water system and then at the very end of that all that water that we kind of borrow mm. <laughs> i just see it's borrowing mm. goes out um through our reed bed system mm. and then that water goes through a reed bed and then it goes directly into our vegetable garden waters that mm. through these very hot dry days in <laughs> august <laughs> your listeners might be familiar with like closed loop thinking yeah which I guess is a term sometimes used in business as well. Uh, yeah, you're closing a loop. You're, that water stays here, we use it, and it comes back and goes into the garden. And uh, closing a loop is always a, a great, a good sign that you're creating efficient and robust systems that lead to a successful off-grid life. Yeah. Yeah, as opposed to the constant leaky bucket. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... Um, I feel like there's been quite a movement in off-grid li living. You know, there's there's been a lot of talk about it. There's a lot more experiences of it. There's a lot more in the press about it. Um, people escaping that, that hustle and bustle of the city life. What have you What have you noticed since post-COVID that has happened with, with the movement? And would you say that there are a lot of people interested in it? That there's quite a community that 
you'll not be alone or, you know, how, what should people be thinking about that? Well, I don't know about the community aspect. I think in certain hotspots there are, mm-hmm. uh, for example, in Wales, they've got a fund dedicated to people who live and work, oh, okay. living in forests, make mm-hmm. a living from the forest, are permitted to live there. So I think there are communities. We are not in one. We live in a very conventional village surrounded by conventional mm-hmm. houses. So in that sense, we we sort of stand out. But in terms of post-COVID, I think, I think it, it made people realise that you can't create resilience in the moment that you need it it's something you have to look ahead and plan for and create in advance you, you the moment where you, you realize you're not resilient that's not the moment to create resilience mm. i think covid made people realize that, that you know the choices they've made meant maybe meant they were stuck in a certain place or a certain situation they didn't want to be in and at the moment where it was intolerable that's the moment you really can't do much about it so i think it maybe it gave people a sort of longer term view of Okay, what do I want? Where do I want to be? And maybe I don't know. Maybe it shifted responsibility onto our own shoulders to 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 look ahead and think. Okay, you know, can I create resilience before I need it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's something we've noticed with that with the cost of living crisis as well. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment where that unaffordable bill lands on your doormat or in your inbox, that's not the moment to start talking to someone about solar because. That takes years of planning and learning, and it's not a particularly long time, but it requires time. And so, yeah, maybe that's something that's beginning to change. It, it, it is a sense that, well, government is perhaps not going to put measures in place to make us resilient as fast as we can on our own. Yeah, and that's definitely how I feel about that. You know, yeah. and it's not about. I'm sure they can and they will, but it's a big, cumbersome process, mm. and it's very, very complicated. Mm. And perhaps. Uh, individuals who or families or couples or communities that take those steps are maybe a slightly ahead of, ahead of the curve and able to help others and ease that transition if and when mm-hmm. it, it, it does happen you know it's okay you know, don't worry this is how we can change this so that in you know, two years time you don't have that electricity bill for example and, you know where, where do you go for that information if if you have that desire mm-hmm. if you go to a local citizens advice bureau or local government they're not going to help you to help they're not going to help you live off grid you need that you need those sources of information in online blogs communities what do you say yeah yeah and your course will help will help with a lot of the basics mm. on that and further to that uh, it's, it is information but it's also a sense of confidence i think that sense of empowerment that you can do this and we are very capable of learning. Everybody's capable of learning and capable of therefore putting together a life that they can survive within and not just survive, but also thrive um, and very much enjoy. Um, But I think that is a a small stumbling block for a lot of people is their own sort of mental restrictions about that. Um, And it's not actually really them, is it? It's a society, it's a conditioning that we've all been brought up in. Um, So I think that's a very good point. But yeah, I fully agree with everything you just said, Daniel. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So as part of the preparation for this this interview, I did some research about, you know, is there grants available? What sort of things can you get as an individual wanting to implement a lot of these things? Mm-hmm. And it seems like there is pots of money that the mm. EU are putting to one side and the UK government as well. But it's going to big organisations. It's going to sort of give them the incentive to do more green energy, mm. whatever, whatever that means. But ultimately, one of the articles I was reading was saying, well, the point of those companies is to sell you more energy. They don't <laughs> want to sell you less. They don't want you using less. Even though we know as a, as a world we need to consume less, we need to have more less emissions. It's bad for the planet. It's bad for our health. And there's all sorts of other pollution issues in more localised areas. Mm. We, know, we know this, but we're, we're almost leaning on big governments and big companies, I feel often, to, to do that for us. It's almost like, 
you know, I've got no personal responsibility in it. Mm. I do my recycling, but I let the government sort the rest of it out. But what the governments are doing and what we need to acknowledge is they're going to give that money to the big companies who still want to sell you electricity, no matter how they generate it. And they want you to use more of it, not less of it, because that's how we make profits and and help shareholders. So I believe there does need to be almost a bit of a wake up here that, Mm. that Dan and Flea have done themselves and are, you know, offering us that says you don't have to live on dependent on these and you don't have to lean on them to solve the problem you can find it and there might not be subsidies for you Mm. but what you've proven here and what you prove in your course is how simple it can be Mm. if you take it down to the bare bones to create a simplistic life off grid and then build on that you can still have lots of i mean i'm seeing i'm seeing lots of luxuries i'm sat here and you know i can see laptops i can see a keyboard i can see um a, mm. you know i've i've we've had coffee here you know there there's not really much to say what am i missing what do i feel like i'm lacking when i'm here yeah i don't feel like i'm lacking I mean, when often, i'm here often it creates but, space to realize what you're lacking elsewhere yeah peace and time yeah. and quiet yeah. right yeah. but you're you're spot on Sue. so yeah, uh, for, for the energy companies, the sun is the nightmare competitor. I mean, it shines endlessly, produces abundant energy that anyone can harvest with technology that they can easily buy online. So, okay, in that case, let's make sure people do consume so much that any system they have will be too complex for them to manage and we'll flog them a very expensive system that takes 20 years to pay off and then we'll charge them for the privilege of buying that energy back because we won't give them the ability to store it. It's... It's kind of scandalous, but um, yeah, it's, it's inevitable in the business model, right? I mean, uh, it, it's sort of baked in, so we can't blame anybody for that. It's just the way they operate. Um, but now the technology and the knowledge base exists for you to, to take those things and, and put together your own system that extracts you. And then you notice that as soon as you become a steward of your own energy, your behavior changes radically. Mm-hmm. You, you, what, what, would, what would once have been a restriction now becomes a, a kind of... Um, an empowered choice mm. to use more or less mm. at certain times mm. of year or upgrade or simplify your system depending on your needs. And um, and the pots of money is a really good point as well. There's, uh, you know, for, for in every metric, our house is incredibly small footprint. And if, if we were talking about 2050 net zero or any of that nonsense, you'd have to say that this kind of house would would include at least some of the things that need to, that we need to get us there. But we're not eligible for anything because we did it ourselves. And that's because we've extracted ourselves from an enormous money-making system that is invested in net zero mm. as a money-making mm. uh, exercise. You know, How can we get to net zero but still maintain profits? Well, ground source heat pumps, air source heat pumps, um, blah, 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 blah. The, the list goes on. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. Sorry. And absolutely. Just further, sir, I think that it, if you're um, if you're looking towards the future for different um, kind of solutions, um the capitalist model is not going to be ideal in some respects because it needs endless growth in order to sustain. Um, and our course is actually called um, Simplification and Resilience. And so that's the number one thing for us was to simplify first mm. and build from that. And then you know what you really need um, and not just really need in terms of nice, lovely coffees and diffusers and nice things, um, but also what you need spiritually for your mind to sort of grow on a, on a, on a healthy journey. Um, 
so just having that that break, that peace, that space um, really allowed for us to to develop. Um, but yes, yeah, simplification mm. is very contra to yeah, capitalism yeah, yeah, yeah. in many ways because it doesn't allow for growth. Having said that, you'll see things that look simple, like uh, a Tesla, for example. You get in, it's very simple, very sleek. Mm. It's all, or even you know, like iPads, very very slick compared to like a Windows. Things do get slicker, but actually, it's still more of the same. We're still consuming, breaking, using again, mm. starting buying again. So um, in a way, like that, as you said, Dan, that is baked in. That mm. is how the system functions. So extracting yourself just a tiny wee bit can really help you on a slightly different path. Mm. Mm. And you mentioned recycling. I, I, don't think, I, think, I don't think at this particular juncture we can look to the government for cues. We have to, I think if we do a bit of our own research or listen to our intuition, we, we know that people are getting pinched. And we all know deep down that doing more of the same won't lead to any different outcome. Mm. We all know that. Definition of but we, madness. We just don't back ourselves. <laughs> we don't back ourselves or trust that. We think, okay, yeah. I'll just keep doing what the government's telling me to do. Or things will. I mean, I, I love the phrase when things get back to normal. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's not hard to point out that for however many tens of thousands of years there was a very distinct normal, and we are not in it. And. You know, when you look at that mindfully and uh, before a moment of crisis, you're able to respond much faster than than a large organisation can, especially one that's driven by profit, which will just seek to adapt to that new reality, but continue making the same profits somehow. And uh, monetizing the sun is a classic one. I mean, it's mind blowing that yeah, that, I mean that should in theory be uh, a really viable solution for everybody. Uh, but I guess in the past, people would have been blown away if we'd have said one day we will pay for water <laughs> i can see from that as well that the um the change can be very scary like the, the whole idea of off-grid is often aligned with the end of the world the apocalypse yeah. like i can see how that seems scary but there are examples in our past um for example during the cuban missile crisis cuba was cut off from fossil fuels overnight like that and um overnight they went back to their old technologies mm. because they thought well we have to still eat and luckily they still had an older generation that understood about farming practices pre-fossil fuels or with very little fossil fuels and they just overnight was like we're like okay we're going to go back to plowing the old way we're going to go and also they integrated new permaculture um, techniques which hadn't been around for them and so there was a beautiful meeting of the old generation and the new generation but that change was forced upon them mm. but it wasn't a disaster yeah. and it continued and, and they managed to come together as a society and community and make sure that that continued. Now it's an extreme example but we are sort mm. of living in a mm. an extreme world so um, yeah. yeah I don't think it has to be seen as a, a scary reaction it can be a forward thinking like yeah. um, a thing you do beforehand and sort of prepare yourself for mentally and physically it's a nice way to characterize off grid rather than escaping you could say you're taking advantage of a beautiful moment in time where the technology and knowledge exists to do such a thing and not only does it exist it also gives the gives you the exact things that you're lacking in your mm. conventional life perhaps financial freedom space peace quiet clarity so it's a beautiful moment, I think. It's a wonderful opportunity. I'm sensing that you have a lot of confidence in, in what you can do and you you feel really determined about it and you've obviously overcome a lot of things over the years. I guess somebody much earlier on the journey, mm. like all this looks very scary, mm. stepping out of the norm, stepping out of the comfort, that whole anyone can do this. At the minute, I'm scared by the terms like solar energy and things. And, I, and I, I'm totally on board with why we would do this.
but they, it does sound very scary. And I guess I'm wondering, where did you get this, I don't know, attitude or this empowerment, this confidence, self-belief from? Is it just that you believe in this and you can see the benefits so many times over and you, you know, you, or you've seen examples and, and how can other people feel more yeah okay this is something I could give a go or maybe they just need a taster of it and they need to live in your environment a bit and be around <laughs> you but where, where do you think that comes from and how do you start having those conversations that says I can take control of this I, I can do this where does I mean, it come from for you I guess at, at, at a particular moment there is a leap of faith and for us that was buying a piece of land and that most of that conviction came from Flea mm. I was terrified and she sort of dragged me kicking and screaming knowing what was best <laughs> for us and she was right. She had a very clear vision of where we would be. And you knew exactly what you wanted to avoid. You kind of were offered the mortgage and thought, this is, just seems ridiculous. Perhaps So perhaps that's what a starting point is knowing what you don't want and trusting your instinct of like, this shouldn't be this difficult. I mean, surely having a roof over my head or having a reasonable level of comfort isn't, isn't an outrageous expectation. Um, and then... Yeah, I don't know. If it's if you're in, already in a very conventional life, it it could seem very daunting because you've got an awful lot of things to let go of and change and relinquish. And that's really, really hard. So, I mean, in that situation, just examining what you have, examining your assumptions and really drilling down onto what they mean for you. Like, does this particular thing I do or have make me happy? And if your knee-jerk reaction is yes, ask the question again. Does it really make me happy? Well, actually, no. Coffee, having coffee with my wife makes me really happy in the morning. The dishwasher actually doesn't make me that happy. You know, those sorts of questions are the driving force behind making larger changes. So even just starting those inquiries are really helpful because you're already creating the, you're, you're creating the basis for relinquishing things. Mm. And then if you choose to, it's no big deal because you've already had that mental discussion. Mm. If you're forced to equally, you're like, well, okay, I've already thought about that mm. and it doesn't actually affect my happiness. So perhaps that's a that's a good starting point. Um, other than that, like you could a, a great idea would be to go and work aways or Airbnb experiences or do a course like ours or anything that gives you a taste of it so that you can relate to it, have an image of it. You've mm. got otherwise it's this vague idea and it's very easy to talk yourself out of something that's vague. Mm. If it's specific and you see two human beings with the same organs as you doing that, well you can relate to it. Yeah. Yeah. What Dan um, when um, when I took this decision to buy this land, it was sort of driven by a what I don't want philosophy, and I'd um, I was on this graduate scheme, the government in the UK, and I got this. Um, it was before the economic crisis of two thousand and eight, so people were handing out um, subprime mortgages like candy floss. So it was um, I had this mortgage, and I went to look at this studio flat, and I remember thinking these bricks are not worth this money. And it was just that very simple equation of I can bike bricks and I know what they cost and it's not like this. So I just kept looking and looking for different things and um, eventually I stumbled upon, mostly through Dan's parents who already lived in France, that the property prices are cheaper here. Um, so that was, yeah, it was more driven by that. But also um, I just knew that most humans in human history have built their own shelter so we can do that. Like it's not um, a stretch too far to think that that's possible. Mm. And they've all used natural materials to do so. Mm. Um, but just further to what Dan said about relinquishing seeming scary, it is. But it's also very liberating. Mm. When you, you know, when you go through this might seem like a strange example, but when you go through your wardrobe 
and you just kick out stuff. God, it feels good, doesn't it? You're like, ah, oh, I'm so much lighter. Because I think we're kind of like snails inside. We carry our home on our backs. Yeah. And we would have done that for years as nomads. We would have carried it and, oh, yeah, I can carry something lighter. It just feels great. Um, and that's how I, I love this process because it is liberating and you feel so good letting go. And I think you feel like that whether it's you let go of your this cardigan that was beloved and I loved it and it sparked joy. Or whether it's like a mental blockage or an energy blockage and you let it go finally, you feel amazing. And um, it's work, like it's inner work, whether it's the cardigan or whether it's uh, a chakra that's blocked, you, you let it go and you feel good as a result. So it's like a self-fulfilling upward spiral. You end up going up and up and up with it rather than coming down. And I think that sense can become very... I don't want to use the word addictive, uh, a more positive word, but it can be very liberating. I think you said liberating. I, I feel like that's the word you. You know, earlier when we talked about what was the biggest misconception about off grid, and, and yeah, definitely the cave. But I think the biggest misconception <laughs> that we don't that we don't see is that what you've just said. We feel like we're losing all this stuff, so actually I'm missing out. I'm going down the spiral. Uh, I'm actually yeah. going to live worse off than yeah. I've ever lived. Financial freedom mm. and off-grid means I'm doing without all these things, mm. that I, all these material things or, I don't know, just energy usage things, whatever, like you said. But you said, no, it actually, it's liberating. It, it, you go up, you're, mm. you're more spiritual, you're more connected, you have more space, more time, more financial freedom and time freedom, which mm. is really critical. Okay, um... I want to go. I want to talk about your course. So I want to just run through your course. When are you running it? How does it work? What are you going to cover in it? Um, and then how can people find out more? Uh, we're running it in September, in October and November. So three times. It's a two-day course, um, and we're, we're framing it as an introduction to off-grid living. Mm-hmm. So we're going to introduce uh, participants to all of the systems that allow us to have basically no utility bill. We're also going to introduce them to the natural materials that allow us to have a very well-insulated, self-built house mm. that gives you the, the the ability to, you know, get your hands dirty. So we're, we're going to introduce people to straw bale building on a micro scale with a small sort of demo section of a wall. And um, then, then we'll have practical and theoretical workshops and all of the systems, electricity we've already mentioned, water harvesting, hot water, composting, really critical element, um, sanitation. And I think that's it. That's all of the systems. Explain what composting. Oh yeah, composting. Is composting of your. No, no. This is a, a, a composting like a dry toilet, which we've used for seven years now, and uh, it's wonderful. Another closed loop. You okay. you link literally link yourself to the soil in your garden, and then eat those things that you then you've you fertilized. It's amazing. So. Yeah, we're going to try and just make it relatable. You know, mm. Like we said, we are not experts. We have no technical background in building or any of these systems whatsoever. Yet now people are coming to us for guidance mm. on how to create these same systems. So we want to show that it's achievable. And we want to show that in many respects, you know, if people are worried about losing or leaving their conventional life, we, we, there, there are elements of our life that are very conventional. We have money. We operate in the economy. But what we don't have is debt. And what we don't have are any utility bills and this gives us enormous financial freedom to either work less or pursue other interests and you know you become very creative so that's what we want to introduce give people a taste of what that looks like Mm. so they can go away with the words i can reverberating in their minds 
And uh, perhaps it, the idea is obviously you can't go away after two days and go and build your own off-grid house, but you might it stimulates curiosity, gives you the idea that you can, and will probably push them onto other courses. Yeah. You know, building with different materials or visiting communities, like you said. Yeah, I mean it's that five, it's that what five or ten year journey you've been on that yeah. we can just sort of absorb <laughs> all that knowledge. Yeah. Um, like like me and my family have done. Um, <laughs> and I guess you know the key thing is 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 you know, having you as a connection, but also feeling empowered that this is something you can take ownership of in your life. Yeah, 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 exactly. Do you want to add anything about that? Uh, so you picked up on a really good thing there that, yeah, it, they will, obviously anyone that comes on the course or even if not, can always maintain connection with us for a consultation or information because we, we when we were building, we were scared at times of, ah, oh, we've done things and the house is going to fall down. And we had a connection with our, our kind of straw bell building guru, guru who, who was always available to just say, no, it's not going to fall down and, and things <laughs> like that. Or, no, you're not going to burn it down with your electrics. Um, and yeah, we, we offer that space for people if they just need some reassurance or um, to sound off ideas. We, yeah. We're always available for that type of thing. Guys, thank you so much for joining thank me on the you. podcast and sharing about off-grid living. Um, folks, I'll put some links in the show notes and you'll see some things out on social, some little clips of how um, Felicity and Daniel live here in their straw bale home. And if you learn, want to learn more about water collection, solar energy, toilets, heating, and, and just feel generally empowered that you can create a more off-grid life, then please check out their program. Um, highly recommend it. Thank you very much, guys. Thank, thank you. you so much. Congratulations for showing up and being one of the 8% that actually turn their dreams into reality. I appreciate you for listening and I am committed to helping you improve the quality of your life. For more resources, make sure you check out the show notes underneath. Don't forget to hit subscribe and leave me a five-star review. And remember, you are incredible. And if you dream it, you can achieve it. Bye.